Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Sean Cosby, or if you prefer, S.A. Cosby. Uh, Sean is a return guest. His book, Blacktop Wasteland, uh, really uh, hit it out of the park and, and got a lot of popularity. And his new one, uh, Razor Blade Tears, is poised to do the same. But he is here today to talk mostly about his contribution to a grifter song, and that is episode 18, Ride Like Hell. Now, before we talk to Sean, I do want to remind you that Wrong Place, or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. That sounds like something you dig. You can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. All right, well, uh, let's talk to Sean and find out about Ride Like Hell, the season finale for season three of A Grifter Song. Well, hey, Sean, welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show, I should say. Well, thank you for having me back, man. It's a pleasure. I'm glad I didn't uh, screw things up too much the first time so that I was uh, welcome. Welcome back. Wasn't persona non grata. Uh, no, quite the contrary. I enjoyed your previous appearances quite a bit. Um, now we're here to talk about your grifter song novella, uh, ride like hell, which, uh, is episode 18, the uh, season finale for season three, uh, dropping June 1st of 2020. But having said all that, I would like to take just a moment and congratulate you for all the success you're seeing with uh, blacktop wasteland and, uh, ask you, you know, what's that been like? I mean, it's, it's, it's basically a dream come true based on talking to you. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, thank you so much. It's been uh, surreal is the, probably the word that comes to mind the most. Um, but, uh, you know, if you told me last year's time that, uh, you know, people like Dennis Lane and Walter Mosley would be talking about my book in a positive way or that, you know, I would have been on NPR with Walter Mosley or, you know, the book would be in New York Times review section and they not hate it. I don't know if I would have automatically not believed you but i would have been skeptical but um no man it, the, the, it's just been like i said an incredible surreal but gratifying dream come true i think whenever you start putting pen to paper or fingertips to keyboard you hope that people will respond to what you're trying to say and as much as the the critical response has been just overwhelmingly positive and, and, and incredibly gratifying the response from readers has just been um just a dream come true. I, I get emails from people where they talk about how much they enjoyed the book. And some of them are just one sentence. You know, I really dug this book. And then some of them are long essays where they talk about how, book, how much the book has meant to them and how it's inspired them to write or, or what have you. And um, those are the things that, it, that I'll always treasure. I'll always remember no matter what happens. The fact that the book has found an audience and had made a connection with people. It's just, um, it's incredibly gratifying. Well, I mean, to to connect with people, the book has to be well written with memorable characters and a great plot. And Blacktop Wasteland definitely checks those boxes. Uh, but I think you probably bring another element to it too that makes it uh, even fresher. And that is, you know, it's a rural Southern setting uh, with a uh, black male prota protagonist. Um, which isn't necessarily, uh, you know, that's not everyday common. I mean, that's a little off the beaten. Yeah. Path. 
I'll tell you the funny thing. I, I get responses from people. I get two types of responses. I get people that are from this a, a rural area, you know, not necessarily south. Maybe somebody from rural Kansas or or uh, you know out in the the, the the more country part of Illinois. I've had a couple emails from people like that, and they really are very complimentary of the book. That you know they they'll tell me how I feel like I know these people, or I grew up in this this town, or I'm I'm really connecting with that. And then you have people who aren't from that kind of background who are really, really kind when they say, you know, you really expose me to a part of the world I would never really consciously think about going to or a part of the world I wasn't familiar with. And um, I appreciate that. And so you add that to, you know, having a, 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 a multicultural cast and an, an African-American protagonist. I hope outside of people really enjoying the book, I hope um, that people in all aspects of the publishing industry We'll see a book like Blacktop Wasting or see a book like, you know, David uh, Whedon's Winter Counts or, um, you know, a, a book like um, Ain't Nobody Nobody or any book that takes place in a rural area and realize that there is a a market, not just a, a market, but a very vibrant market for stories that take place in those settings. Um, that, I think, is the um, one of the best uh, takeaways from the book. Um, it's not just about me, but it's about the writers behind me that are coming up who want to talk about, you know, rural North Carolina, rural Saskatchewan, Canada, or, you know, the the not, you know, they want to talk about those areas and their voice. And so hopefully it, it, it helps um, to give those guys and gals a, a, a easier path. Well, and hopefully it helps people come to the realization that if it's a good story with good characters and it's well-written that's what matters and so don't have preconceived notions about you know hey i, I don't i don't i don't read black fiction i don't read rural fiction or, right. or something like that so yeah ultimately that's the thing yeah well so hey i mean uh you you deserve every bit of that success and one of the gratifying things to people who are cheering on the sidelines like myself uh, is that it's happening to a great guy uh, as opposed to. Oh, you know, man. Thank you so and, much, man. Thank you very much. Nobody likes to it see the assholes win. Right? So <laughs> <laughs> you want to see the good you, guys. I'll tell you, I, I tell you, man, um, I've met some folks that are, uh, I've been very, very lucky that I've met folks who I admire as heroes and to a, to a, a person, they've been kind. They've been really nice people. Not to say I haven't met some jerks and assholes. Um, there's a couple of uh, there's some there's been a couple times in the uh, in the bar at a uh, convention that will go nameless where I thought I'm gonna have to bust somebody upside the head. But um, <laughs> but for the most part, everybody's been incredibly. There's a story I, I want to tell real quick before we start talking about Griffin Song. Um, there's a writer. Really great writer. He just won the Seamus. Uh, he writes under the name James D.F. Hanna, but his given name is Chad Williamson. Uh, Chad's from a rural uh, um, Kentucky area uh, uh, um, and Tennessee, Kentucky area. And he and I met last year at BoucherCon, and we really hit it off. We've been friends on Facebook for a long time, but we meet in person, and it was really, really wonderful. He's such a great writer and really great guy. And so um, – we read BouchCon and <laughs> toward the end of one of the nights, I, it was before the Anthony Awards, but toward the end of one of the nights, there was a, a gentleman there and, and who was a, a, not a part of the BoucherCon 
uh, convention. He was just staying at the hotel. But he was really drunk. And he decides to come up to me and Chad and start telling us. And I swear to God, if Chad, you ever get a chance to have him on your show and talk to him, ask him about it. The guy comes up to us and starts telling us that he is an assassin. He's an assassin for the CIA. And that he could take both of us. You know, we're pretty big guys, but he, he could take us. And, you know, we laughed it off because we were not, A, not as drunk as he was, and B, didn't want to get into fisticuffs at our professional convention where we're trying to make people believe we know what we're doing. So we kind of laugh it off, and he goes away. And you know, I thought that was the end of it. He comes back about 20 minutes later, and now he's he was already drunk. Now he's blotto. Now he's just... He's that drunk where he's 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 talking, but it's gibberish. But he doesn't know it's gibberish, and so he's angry. We didn't understand him, and so he keeps talking. And Chad, who has this this wonderful, I have a little bit of accent, but Chad has this really wonderful lilting Southern gentleman accent. He turns to the guy. He said, "Hey, partner, let me buy you a drink." And that calmed him down, and he he wandered off, and, and, and we didn't have to fight the CIA assassin. Because I would be pissed, I ain't gonna lie, I'd be a little angry. And, but Chad defused the situation. So anyway, that's just so the the, the title of the story is how uh, how he how Chad saved your life about your con, right? <laughs> yeah, he saved me from the CIA assassin that wore boat shoes. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's anyway, the, that's the thing about those conferences, man. I, I, I remember that conference. This is Dallas, right? You're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember af- after your uh, short story won the Anthony Award, you were pretty uh, pretty riding high there. Man. It was good to see. <laughs> yeah, fact, man, I tell you, that was uh, one of the most enjoyable nights that I can't remember I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it's a good segue because it was at that conference that you and I first talked about you taking part in season three of a grifter song. Um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, let, let's move into that. Uh, you, you, you wrote the novella episode 18, uh, ride like hell. Um, what's it about? Tell people what it's about. So basically, uh, our two main characters, um, Sam and Rachel, uh, have found themselves, in uh, southwestern Virginia, uh, and they are uh, meeting. They've met with uh, a friend of Rachel's from her past or her uh, multicolored checkered past, um, who is working uh, at a uh, ranch for a very rich, new rich, as they say, new money in Virginia, they call it a new money uh, millionaire who uh, wants to produce a championship thoroughbred horse. He wants a horse that can win the Belmont Stakes or the Preakness or the Kentucky Derby or what have you. Um, he's also a bit of a, as we were speaking about early, he's a bit of an asshole and uh, Rachel's contact doesn't like the guy. And uh, uh, the guy um, has, uh, he tells Rachel Sam that the guy is firing him in a month. That he's, he's let him go. He's got 30 days. And so he comes up with a plan to con this uh, build this millionaire uh, out of some money by selling him a fake container of uh, thoroughbred uh, racehorse um, uh, uh, life essence. That's a good way of saying it. And <laughs> so Sam and Rachel begin to, uh, they, they come up with a plan to uh, uh, portray themselves. Sam will portray a down on his luck horse trainer and Rachel will portray a uh, very uh, decorated veterinarian. Um, and they will uh, sell this uh this uh, super duper life essence to this millionaire and, and walk away with a, a pleasant payday. And of course 
as want to do in any type of noir fiction, things go horribly awry and uh, they find themselves pursued by a dapper assassin um, while at the same time in the midst of the secrets and lies of this millionaire. And um, hopefully uh, it ends the season on an exciting note um, as they uh, ride like hell to try to escape. So what was the uh, inspiration for this? Have you just always wanted to write a horse racing caper or did this, uh, did you come up with this when, when you, after you came on board? Um, sort of 50%. Uh, I was one, I grew up in an area, uh, a very rural area of farmland in Virginia. And there are a lot of what I, we like to call gentlemen uh, farmers, the uh, folks that either, through family, they've inherited a farm, or like like the character in the, in the novella, new money that comes into town that wants to live or replicate that, you know, Virginia squire type life. And um, when I was a kid, my uh, great uncle worked on a, at a, a a farm ranch uh, type um, setting, and the gentleman there who owned it was a retired head of Exxon Oil, Texaco Oil, Texaco Oil. And um, he was just enamored with being a country gentleman. And so he uh, grew or I'm sorry, raised uh, Angus cows and he was trying to raise quarter horses. And so when I was a kid, my uh, mom would go pick up my great uncle from work. He didn't drive. And um, we would see the horses running around the track. And so I grew, grew up around that. I grew up around animals and farming and stuff like that. So that was one part of it. And the second part of it was I. um wanted to write a caper um, that was a little bit different than my usual output. Um, anybody that reads my stuff, whether it's Blacktop Wasteland or my short stories, they're generally really bleak. <laughs> they're, they're damn near fatalistic. And um, I wanted to write something that was a little, a little more lighthearted. There's a lot of people, mostly a friend of mine said that my, uh, my brand should be uh, garden tools used as weapons for fun and profit. And I, I wanted to write something a little bit lighter, a little bit more hopeful, not as fatalistic. Um, Sam and Rachel are uh, great characters to uh, kind of explore uh, a more, uh, uh, I don't want to say wholesome, but a more um, romantic side of the crime caper. Uh, they obviously are in love. They love each other. They care about each other. Um, they'll do anything for each other. And so um so that's not to say that the book is, you know, teacups and cozies, but it's definitely more has, a, I think, a more playful edge than uh, some of my other stuff. And I like doing stuff like that. I like challenging myself. I published I wrote a I wrote a lock room mystery last year that got published by Elder Queen Mystery Magazine in an effort to really push myself as a writer. Um, also, my mom wanted to read one of my stories where not everybody gets shot in the face. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I like I like pushing myself. So, putting myself in Sam and Rachel's heads and writing from a position of affection was different, you know. Because uh, not to say the characters in my other fiction don't care about each other, but Sam and Rachel's point of view is it, to me was unique, and I, I really enjoyed. Uh, putting them in this predicament and then figuring a way to get out. And I I had this image in my head. I said, somewhere along the line, somebody's going to be riding a damn horse. So I worked all that into the development. <laughs> yes, you did. Horse spunk and horseback riding all, 
all in one one place. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, you, you there there were rules. Obviously, there are rules to to the the Grifter Song episodes. I mean, one of them is you can't kill. Uh, either Sam or Rachel. So you were already limited right there um, <laughs> from your normal <laughs> approach. Um, but uh, was it difficult to write within, uh, you know, like a prescribed uh, universe where some of the elements are dictated to you as uh, kind of like, you know, as, as ground rules? To be honest, it took a little bit getting used to. It was like, it was like, you know, it was like going for a swim. If you're going for just a casual swim on your own, and you jump in a pool or your friend's pool or you go to the beach and you go swimming, you kind of just see how things go and, and you can kind of just explore different options. Um, but if you're in a swimming competition and you're in the butterfly stroke, you have to swim the butterfly stroke. That doesn't mean it's not enjoyable and that doesn't mean it's not challenging. And it and ultimately, you can feel a sense of accomplishment. And th that's what it was like for me. At first, I felt like, OK, I can't kill Sam and Rachel, which I really didn't want to, but. Um, and I was like, OK, I got to do this. And there's this backstory that we got to incorporate. But then once I got going in it, it became a really exciting challenge because some in some ways it's easier because the groundwork has already been laid. You know, I don't have to create the backstory. I don't have to create the relationships. I don't you know, I didn't have to work as hard to convince the reader that Sam and Rachel care about each other, because if you already read some of the Grifter song, you know that. And so that's kind of inherent in the story. So in that way, it was kind of it was it was easier. Um, once I got going, though, I was able to put my own kind of personal stamp on the story while still maintaining the integrity of the setup. So I didn't find it difficult. Um, if anything, I, I it was a little bit freeing in a way for me. Well, I think you summed up the project pretty well there because you <laughs> played by the rules, but you put your own stamp and style on it. And that's really what I've been hoping to accomplish with, uh, with the entire project with every author. And, and it's been really fun to see people do exactly what you did, make the story your own while staying within the foul lines of, of, of the series. The only regret that I have, Sean, is, uh, you didn't put Ronnie in it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, know, try, I, I tried I to talk you to, into it I tried I, just, <laughs> I wanted to and I kept trying to figure out a way to work him in there and it, it didn't work out but uh, <laughs> yeah because it, 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 he's referring to if anybody reads, anybody reads Blacktop Wasteland there is a there's a horse robbery in, in Blacktop Wasteland <laughs> there's a character named Ronnie Sessions who's, who's he's a He's a piece of work. And uh, I, I did. I wanted to. He just, it never organically worked out. But uh, Sean, um, I just wanted to throw away a line like, uh, ah, fucking Ronnie Sessions, you know? Did you hear about what happened? Yeah, just one of those things. And I just could, I couldn't get you there. It's my biggest failing as an editor. <laughs> I know. It's funny. It's funny because I sort of do that in my other writing. I create the S.A. Cosby shared universe. So, um, <laughs> but no, man, it was a really great experience. I was glad to be a part of it. I was really flattered when you asked me to write for it um but i think the funny thing is and i and for my research when i started writing it i went back and read most of the previous uh entries and what i was struck by was no matter you can tell different people are writing it but it doesn't distract didn't distract i should say from the or detract from the overall experience and all through all the previous editions the things that come through are the things that are part of the rules but that's a good thing 
Sam and Rachel love each other. They're on the run. That their their song, so to speak, probably maybe will have a a sad ending, but that doesn't really matter because they're together and they love each other. And that's mm-hmm. what comes through all the previous volumes that I read. And I wanted that to come through with Ride Like Hell too. That these characters, while maybe not characters you would choose to hang out with, are characters who are true to each other nonetheless. Well, you were certainly true to them in uh, in Red Like Hell, episode 18 of A Grifter Song, available from Down Out Books, uh, June 1st. Uh, Sean, I, I want to thank you for being part of the project and definitely uh, for coming on the podcast once again. Man, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. I love, love uh, catching up and chatting, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it again soon. All right, folks, there you go. Sean Cosby, uh, friend of the pod at this point. He's been on enough to say that. You can pick up uh, his episode of A Grifter's Song, Ride Like Hell, episode 18, the season three finale. Now it's available. You can buy it individually or you can subscribe to the entire season. Uh, The benefit to the subscription is not only do you get all six stories, uh, but you get a price break that essentially equates to one of them for free. And then as a subscriber, you get a bonus episode that uh, no one else gets except for the subscribers. This year, that episode is called The Alpha Whisperer. And that was written by yours truly. Uh, and we're not talking about a throwaway 1500 word type of thing. We're talking about full scale, long, short story, short novella, just like the rest of the episodes there. So there's some, uh, there's some meat on that bone. Now, next week, we are going to talk to Cynthia Kuhn, uh, who writes academic mysteries, um, and who I met at the ill fated. <laughs> Left Coast Crime of 2020, the Left Early Coast Crime, if you will, that was canceled thanks to COVID-19 in March of 2020. I had a great conversation with Cynthia, and you won't want to miss that next episode on Wrong Place or Right Crime. Zephyro news for you. As I've been mentioning for a number of weeks now, the anthology that my good friend Colin Conway uh, edited and created, The Eviction of Hope, is available. And it's got a bunch of great writers, many of whom you may have first met or learned more about on this podcast. People like uh, Joe Clifford, Tom Pitts, Holly West, uh, James Latwell, Carmen Jaramillo, uh, and the list goes on and on. I was uh, fortunate to have a story called The Rumor in 411 in there, and I'm pretty proud of the uh, story and of the anthology as a whole. So that is available. So is my most recent book with Lawrence Kelter, No Dibs on Murder. In fact, that book is 99 cents right now, along with my other Kelter books, Fallen City and The Last Caller. All of them 99 cents uh, through the 5th of June. So if you're hearing this on June 2nd or thereabouts, you can take advantage of that. If you're not, don't worry. They go on sale fairly often. And uh, besides, they're a pretty good bargain at full price. You can find out more about that at my website, franksafiro.com. I want to say thanks to Sean for coming on the show again. And, and I really, I want to say thank you to all of the authors who have been part of A Grifter Song this season. Uh, Matt Phillips, Lawrence Maddox, uh, Jonathan Brown, Michael Poole, Carmen Jaramillo, and of course, uh, Sean 
who was on this episode. Uh, they made for a great season, and when I did the bonus episode for the subscribers only, it was uh, it was fun to weave in pieces uh, and mentions of their particular episodes into that story. Along those lines, I want to say thanks to Down Out Books for publishing A Grifter's Song and for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, but most of all, my biggest thanks always are reserved for you, the listener. Uh, hey, we are uh, two episodes away from the end of season four, and uh, it's been a good ride this season, and I'd like to thank you for coming along. Cynthia Kuhn, next episode. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you gotta be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs> <laughs>